Hi, everyone, and welcome to the From the Hack podcast for March 27th, 2019. This week, we double down in Switzerland as I welcome Alina Petz, who won her second World Women's Championship on the weekend as the third for Team Terenzoni. And I also welcome Peter DeCruz, who joins me to discuss the upcoming World Men's Championship in Lethbridge and also to discuss what has been a year of transition for his team. I'm also joined this week by Jocelyn Peterman and Brett Gallant, who won their second Canadian mixed doubles title on the weekend in Fredericton. And I'm also joined by Mark Kennedy, who will discuss his decision to join Team Jacobs starting next season and for the remainder of the Olympic cycle. We'll also get a quick update on Jamie St. Clair and what happened to her that caused her to miss her team's last round-robin game at the Women's Worlds in Denmark when her team was still in contention for a playoff spot. All that and more this week, but first, Canadian musician and non-curler extraordinaire Jimmy Reed plays us into the podcast. So before we get started, if you've ever wondered how they get those nice graphics into the ice at Grand Slams at the World Championships and at Nationals in Canada and the U.S., well, the answer is provided by Jedi's, whose in-ice graphics from Easy and Textile logos to the world-famous Jedi's Full House product are great ways for clubs to enhance the appearance of their ice and to generate much-needed additional sponsorship revenues. Easy and Textile logos are the industry standard for high-quality logos and they're a snap to install. Meanwhile, Jedi's customizable Full Houses are a relatively new way for clubs to grow sponsorship revenues by offering maximum brand recognition to those sponsors. No one can match Jedi's design services, quick turnaround times, and product quality, which is why Jedi's products are valued by major organizations such as Curling Canada, the World Curling Federation, USA Curling, and Sportsnet, who trust Jedi's to provide the products they require for their high-profile events. Jedi's. They bring ice to life. Arnold Ashton's passion for curling, along with his natural propensity to explore new ways to better the game, led him to a whole new world of product design. As a result, all Ashton Curling Supplies products are designed with the curler in mind. Ashton's patented ultralight RDS technology makes it possible to change and customize their slider with any combination of sliding discs. With equal resistance on all sides, the circular design that guarantees a straight slide. These circles have also been designed larger and with stabilizing bars from the outer unit sole to produce the most stable straight sliding shoe the world has ever seen. Go to www.asham.com for Broom's apparel and revolutionary designed footwear. And if you're considering buying new curling shoes, you must consider the rotator sole. It's the sole of the future. From the Hacks Weekly Recap is powered by The Curling Zone, your premier source for curling results from around the world. Visit us at www.curlingzone.com. The 2019 World Women's Curling Championship came to an end on the weekend in Silkeborg, Denmark, with Team Tirnzoni of Switzerland defeating Team Hasselberg of Sweden in the final. Switzerland reached the final by defeating Korea's newest sensations, Team Minji Kim, a junior team that, in the last month alone, has participated in the World Juniors, the World Universiad, and now a Women's World Championship, winning a silver at the Universiad and, most impressively, winning a bronze medal at the Women's Worlds. For their part, Sweden defeated Japan in the semifinal as Team Fujisawa attempted to follow up their bronze medal win at the 2018 Olympics with a podium finish at the Women's Worlds. The final was a battle between familiar rivals as Team Terenzoni and Team Hasselberg went back and forth in a well-played game. It looked like Sweden was about to put the game away on a couple of occasions in the later ends, but the Swiss managed to stay alive and left themselves with a draw to the forefoot for the championship in the extra end. A shot that our first guest this week, Alina Petz, made with room to spare for an 8-7 extra end win. 
Alina, it's been a couple of days now since you won the World Women's Championship in Denmark. How does it feel to have won the Worlds for a second time? It feels great. It's such an unbelievable feeling. Uh, I mean, I still, I still don't really believe it. It's, uh, it's still crazy. And, uh, yeah, I'm so happy. The last two days were so busy. So yesterday we just came back from Silkeborg, uh, busy travel days. And then we had a little party at the airport with friends and family. And, Today I was uh, had to go back to work, and so I didn't really have time to, to let it sink in. Your team had an uneven start in Denmark. You started the week going two and three. Were you concerned at all after that start, or were you confident that you would eventually get comfortable with the ice, the rocks, and the conditions, and that things would turn around for you? I think a little bit of both. I mean, uh, we expected to, to start a little better, or at least we expected to play a little better. I mean, you can always lose games even when you play well, but uh, we expected to play a little better at the start of the week, so we didn't. So uh really just said, okay, we have to fight for it. We have to uh, work for every stone. And, yeah, I think we did that, and that was uh, that was the key, like, to to keep us rolling for the rest of the week, yeah. After that 2-3 and three start, your team got on a roll, going 6-1 and one the rest of the way in the round robin. By the time the playoffs started, were you confident that you had as good of a chance as anyone else to win the championship? Uh, yeah, well, we knew that we can, we can beat all the teams, So, but we knew exactly that we had to really play well. I mean, uh, all the Asian teams were really strong, so... Uh, when we uh, when we had to play China in the like the qualification game, we need uh, we needed to play really well. I mean, we we just beat them in the in the round robin at the extra end. We had to steal one, so we knew it's going to be a tough game. And then, uh, yeah, we we just made it. So and that yeah gave us confidence for the, for the semifinal and then for the final. Yeah. In your semifinal, the Koreans called a timeout and decided to go for the blank in the ninth end when it looked like they had a chance to score two with some staggered guards in front of the house. Were you surprised when they did that? Because it certainly looked like they had your team in a little bit of trouble in that end. Well, we actually hope that she's not going to peel the guard. I mean, we, we hope that she's going to draw around and then we have a chance to, to freeze uh, somehow. And then, yeah, it would have been like, I think a max maximum deduce if they don't peel the guard. So actually for them, I think it was the right decision to, to peel the guard and just take the blank and, uh, yeah, go to the last end with uh, one down. And in the 10th end, it seemed like uh, they have us. They were, like, lying two for almost the whole end. But then we made a couple of good shots to, to yeah, bail us out at the end. Alina, there is an old saying in sports that you need to be lucky to be good and good to be lucky. I bring that up because the one shot most responsible for turning the final in your favor was an excellent double takeout you made in the ninth with Sweden lying three. Your stone ended up perfectly frozen to a Swedish rock, which was a bit lucky. You seem to have a bit of a smile on your face after that one. It was a key moment in the game, and and tell me about that particular shot. Oh, definitely, yes. I think if they get the, the three there in the ninth end, uh, they're going to win the game uh, like 90%. So uh, I really had to had to make that shot. And I was a bit lucky, of course, that it rolls like frozen to the other one. So, uh, yeah, I was just lucky I made the double at least. And I knew if I do the double, we still have a chance. Even if they make the deuce, we will have a chance in the tenth. So, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was quite surprised, but uh, happy, of course. In the extra end of the final, it certainly didn't look good for a little while. Sylvana flashed a shot, and your first rock picked. Was there a part of you that was starting to feel like the victory might be slipping away at that point? Well, uh, I think I just uh, tried to not think about it. I mean, I didn't really, like, it was, it was a hard shot, like, the, the one Sylvana flashed, like, the ice was really straight there, so... Uh, 
yeah, I was, uh, of course, I was a bit concerned there. But then uh, after my first one picked, I was like, uh, really? <laughs> Is that really going to happen? So, uh, yeah, I just uh, tried to think, like, okay, I still have uh, the button to draw to. And then I was a bit lucky she threw, like, back eight. But I always try to just concentrate on the next shot and, yeah, make the best out of it. The announcers on TV, especially here in North America, often talk about your ability to make shots under pressure. What was going through your mind when you were in the hack and preparing to throw the last rock of the final? Were you concerned by the ice a little, considering what had happened with uh, Sylvana's last stone and then your first shot, which picked? Or were you simply focused on making the shot at hand? Yeah, I think I was I was really focused. And I knew, like, my first one, the sweepers told me that the, the length was perfectly. So I knew I just had to, to throw the same weight, and then I, I would be close. And, of course, you are nervous. I mean, you know somewhere in your head that it's the, it's the shot to win the world championship. But uh, I still try to, to like, concentrate on the next shot I have to do and try to prepare at the same time on every shot. And, yeah, I think uh, I just knew I'm, I'm going to be close. And, yeah. I was. <laughs> you must have uh, especially been happy to uh, win your second Women's Worlds uh, with three other players who were experiencing victory at a Women's Worlds for the first time, especially Silvana, who's been a terrific player for several years, but has always had a little bit of difficulty on the international stage. Oh, it's, it's so nice. I mean, like, all of them are such great curlers, and even the personality, personality is even better. And especially Silvana, she works so hard, and she did work hard, like, the last couple of years. It's just, um, yeah, she just the struggled a bit on the world stage the last years but uh i really have have to give her credit she played she played so well like the whole tournament i think uh yeah she's a she's a big a big point or a key player that we won the the worlds and yeah i'm so happy for her i'm so happy for esther and melanie as well and yeah it's so fun to to, to win the world with them, yeah. And finally, Alina, I think it's fair to say that you and Sylvana probably anticipated winning the world at some point when you put this team together. But did you think it could happen this year? Or was it just an unexpected ride that you got on and it took you to an unexpected result? Uh, yes, I, I was surprised. Yeah, I mean, we we knew that if we if we like play the level we can, we're going to be a good team. But uh, I mean, you never expect to win the world championship in the first year, right? So. Uh, yeah, it was it was a fun ride, and we really worked hard as a team. We we already started to work hard uh, with the team chemistry and team communication last summer. We spent a lot of time together talking to each other, and yeah, I think we we found a good way to win. We found a good mix, but uh, I think we're still uh, still at the start of our of our like careers together. I mean, we we still have so so much potential, I think. And yeah, I'm looking forward to to the ride with the girls. One of the stories that came out of the Women's Worlds was an injury suffered by U.S. skip Jamie Sinclair, which forced her to miss her team's last game of the round robin while her team was still in the playoff mix. Price Atkinson of the Extra Extra End podcast was in the arena in Silkeborg on that day and saw the incident that injured Sinclair firsthand. Price, I wanted to have you on this week because you were actually in the arena in Denmark watching the action on the ice between the U.S. and Scotland when Jamie Sinclair took that spill on the ice that forced her out of that crucial final round-robin game. Can you share what you actually saw as it transpired on the ice at the end of the Scotland-USA game? Yeah, so absolutely. It was, what it was, was it was simply put a freak accident. It was, it was just really one of those deals that was wow, that really happened, and, and I did get video of it on my phone um, doing social media and stuff for the team like I do. You know, it's getting the handshakes and some stuff, and I went back and looked at it, and sure enough, there it was. 
what, what exactly happened was this. Um, she was down at the far end, and uh, I believe she didn't have to throw a last stone, but anyway, she was down at the far end. This was the game after they beat Sophie Jackson in Scotland, and it was first game of the day. They only had two round-robin games left, and so the uh, U.S. won, and she was headed down uh, to the other end uh, of the house where most all the players were, and what had happened was there was a, a rock that was still in play you know, high up on the sheet, and it was sitting on a logo, a dark logo there uh, on the sheet they were playing on. It was the far sheet, I believe it was sheet D. And so as she was coming down uh, the ice to shake hands and looking, had her head up looking at the players, uh, what had happened was she, she tripped, she fell over the rock, and she took a pretty nasty spill. It, it didn't look good at all, especially as I went back and watched it. It looked like she may have landed on a shoulder. You couldn't really tell if she hit her head. I, I talked to the folks uh, with uh, WCF-TV, and, and they said that they had it on video, too, and, and looked at it, that she definitely didn't hit her head. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. So basically, uh, it, it was a freak accident. She tripped over a rock that was still left out there on the sheet that had not been removed. What had happened was they tried to, you know, it may have been a little bit different, maybe not. I doubt in the end. But what happened was they were supposed to go back and play the very next uh, draw. They had the, who ended up being the eventual world champions, Savannah Tiranzoni. If they had maybe had a little bit more time to get her ready and had to play in the final draw of the day, I don't know, maybe she could have gone. I don't know. I'm not a trainer, but uh, the trainer, Mike, for USA Curling, they, you know, they, they tried to you know, get her worked on. They turned it a lower leg injury. Um, when they went out for warm-ups against Switzerland, uh, she had a couple, I think, three slides out of the hack and didn't get past the hog line on either of the three. And then pretty much was kind of stood stationary. Um, and so the lineup change was not made by Coach Derek Brown and, and the USA curling staff in conjunction with their, their trainer, Mike, who, who was on hand, that she would not go and that Vicki Persinger would slide in, into her place. Now, reports I've heard from USA Curling is that Jamie should be back in time for the Champions Cup, but it must have been a fairly significant injury at the time because Jamie's a fairly tough cookie, and she would not have missed a crucial game like that with a playoff spot still on the line unless she really wasn't able to go. Yeah, she she was visibly uh, visibly not doing well. I mean, she could walk fine, but you could tell that there was there was something going on. Just that's just my that's my observation only. But yeah, I mean that was a big game against Switzerland because they were still in it. And had they won that game, um, that playoff picture would have looked a little bit differently. Now, um, they, they while they were still in it, certainly you know it was basically you know you got to tell us how you feel. And you know she just she just couldn't do it. Um, and she was honest with the staff. And it, but like you said, it was a very big game because had the U.S. Uh, won that game, to my knowledge, if I remember right, they, they would have gotten in the playoff. And uh, it was really Japan, U.S., Canada that was fighting for those last, uh, mathematically Canada was still alive at that point. But it, it could they could have gotten in, but she just couldn't go. So Sarah Anderson, uh, who was the vice on the team all year, she obviously moved down and skipped, which was a role that, you know, she's had in the past. And then Vicki Persinger, the magician herself, she came in, um, has obviously been throwing vice stones for Corey Christensen's rank, played for Team Sinclair last year uh, with Monica and Alex Carlson. So, you know, that world stage was nothing new to her, you know, after they made the playoffs last year and just came up short uh, playing for a bronze medal. She came in and played really, really well. Uh, but certainly that, that was a, a tough spot when you only have a mere probably 90 minutes to get ready 
you're unsure of what is going on with your lineup. And then, you know, the twins, you know, Taylor and Sarah, who are, are youthful young players, uh, and then playing on the world stage like that at the world championship for the first time, you know, then Sarah specifically, you know, having to skip the team, you know, in a very unexpected manner, it, it was certainly uh, a, a, not the most ideal of circumstances, to put it mildly, for Team USA. From the Hackridge Shout to USA Curling, who told us that Jamie is now rehabbing a leg injury, but should be back in time for the Champions Cup next month. The other big event on the schedule last weekend was the Canadian Mixed Doubles Championship. Uh, the semifinals in Fredericton came down to four teams with players that have fond memories of the Mixed Doubles Nationals. Last year's champions, Laura Walker and Kirk Myers, as well as last year's finalists, Kadriana Sahidak and Colton Lott, both reached the semifinals before losing out. In the final, it was 2016 champions Jocelyn Peterman and Brett Gallant defeating 2013 finalist Nancy Martin and her partner Tyrell Griffith 9-6, buoyed by a double takeout by Peterman in the sixth end that led to a five-ender for the eventual champs. Peterman and Gallant joined from the hack to discuss their victory in Fredericton. Brett, the last time you and Jocelyn won the Canadian Mixed Doubles, uh, you couldn't go to Worlds because of a scheduling conflict with both your men's and the women's teams. Was it a bit more exciting winning this time around, knowing that you would get to wear the Maple Leaf at the Worlds as a result? Yeah, it's super exciting just to wear the Maple Leaf and to uh, go to the World Championships and kind of try to prove ourselves there. Um, you know, last time, uh, knowing that we weren't going to be going, uh, it was kind of bittersweet. Uh, we were really... Uh, tough for us not to go and represent Canada, but at the same time we had our commitments, uh, prior commitments to our team. So uh, looking forward to the opportunity this time and the challenge ahead. And, um, yeah, it's just going to be a great experience. What about you, Jocelyn? Were you a little more excited about winning this time around because you will be able to represent Canada at the Worlds in Norway with Brett? Yeah, we were we were both pretty, pretty excited both times. But, um, yeah, obviously last time in 2016, kind of we knew – going into the event that we wouldn't be able to go either way. So this time it was a little bit more exciting, you know, playing the game, knowing that, that the trip to Norway and the opportunity to be Team Canada um, at the Worlds was on the line. Um, and, yeah, that made it just that little bit little bit more exciting and, and pretty cool for us. Brad, I don't think it's a big secret to most of the curling community that you and Jocelyn are partners both on and off the ice, a relationship that was very new when you won your first Canadian Mixed Doubles together uh, in 2016. Has it made it easier for the two of you on the ice because you know each other so much better now and probably know what to say to each other and when in different situations during a game? Yeah, well, at, at this stage, you know, we know each other so well, so it's... Um... It's real easy to, uh, if we get in, you know, pressure situations or intense situations, we know how to help each other out. We know how to calm each other down and, um, you know, how to get the most out of each other. So that really helps, especially uh, especially in curling. And just our communication has only gotten better over the years. So it uh, helps us out. And mixed doubles, the, the communication is so important since there's only two of you out there. You need to uh, share a lot of information and you need to process a lot of information. So, um you know, us, us knowing each other so well in, the, in that way uh, helps immensely. And from your perspective, Jocelyn, uh, how has the evolution of your partnership uh, helped you as a mixed doubles team? We know each other a lot better, and we know what we want to hear, you know, in situations when things are going well and situations when things aren't going well. Um, we just know so much more about each other now um, than when we played together then. Um, so that makes it easier. It makes communication easy and you know, just kind of light on the ice. And, and obviously sometimes when you're playing with your partner, 
um, you can have the the opposite effect. Maybe you're not not quite as uh, kind or patient if you're you're so comfortable with the person. But um, I think we have a, a good balance of that. Brett, there were several teams at the Mixed Doubles Nationals this year that may not be household names, but that are solid players. Did you have to be mindful in Fredericton not to look past any of the teams you played, even if their names weren't familiar, especially after the success of Kadriana Sahedak and Colton Watt had last season at Nationals? Their success made it clear that you don't have to be household names to go deep at the Canadian Mixed Doubles. Yeah, um, they kind of came out of nowhere uh, last year at the Nationals and had a ton of success. And since then, they've only gotten better. You know, the World Cup event, and now they're, they're in the semifinals this year at the Nationals. Uh, so there's a lot of teams like that. Um, you know, a lot of, lot of players that um, seem to really excel in, in this discipline. And it's uh, going to be similar at the World Championships because there's a lot of uh, countries that I've never uh, curled against before internationally. And there's probably going to be a lot of players that um, haven't been to a World Championships on a men's or women's team but have been in the mixed doubles and have had success at mixed doubles so um you can't underestimate anybody you have to approach everyone the same way and um just like you said you have to be really mindful of that and if you get ahead of yourself uh, that's when you get in trouble brett in the sixth end of the final your team was in a position to possibly score a big end if jocelyn tried a makeable but still relatively difficult double takeout for five points i'm not sure jocelyn saw it right away or was feeling it but you managed to get her to throw it without giving her the hard sell as it were i'm guessing that your approach is tied to the fact that you know jocelyn so well and knew what info she required at that moment to decide which shot she would attempt yeah when jocelyn's shooting i'm i'm just trying to you know basically uh give her any options that I might see. Um, at the end of the day, it's up to her uh, what she throws because she's the one that has to has to make it. Um, in that situation, I think the just kind of quick cost-benefit analysis there was, uh, I think, sold her pretty quick, um, you know, with the potential for five points. And, and it was a tough shot, but she'd been making a lot of those all week. So uh, I was still pretty confident in her uh, giving it a good run. So, um just with what with the way the game was going, it was uh, tough to tough to even score a deuce. Uh, I thought it'd be a great opportunity to uh, you know more or less put the game away, uh, being it was the sixth end and and uh, with their power play left to you know for our defense when we had the hammer, uh, it just seemed like the right call. From your perspective, Jocelyn, how comfortable were you in attempting that shot, especially with so much at stake late in the national final? You know, it helps that in that situation, Brett was Brett was very confident. Um, helped me feel confident knowing that he wanted me to throw the shot and he believed that I could make it. So, yeah, I just probably took a little bit little bit longer time in the hack and I slowed down my pre-shot routine a bit to make sure I, I wasn't rushing it or, or too nervous in the moment, but um, it all worked out. <laughs> Brett, uh, not that curling creates that many viral moments for social media, but you made a comment right before Jocelyn threw that final rock of the sixth end that got the attention of a lot of people, and I'm sure you got trolled a bit by your friends and other players when you said, make it good, hun, just as Jocelyn was about to throw it. I'm guessing that since she made the shot, you'd probably go back and say the same thing again, right? Oh, exactly. I mean, uh, it's just just a big shot. I just wanted her to be, uh, you know, calm her down and get, just give her a little positive reinforcement before she threw it. And, um you know, I'm I'm pretty talkative when I'm on the ice like that, so lots of stuff can come out, and that's just what happened to come off my tongue at that moment. And uh, well, of course, I'd say it again, and you probably probably will say uh, you'll hear me saying some more things, at, you know, at the World Championships and, and so on. But uh, you know, it's just all about 
getting the most out of her teammates and uh, making them comfortable and just just a positive reinforcement was always trying to do there. But uh, they worked out for the best, so I'll do it again. And Jocelyn, after your loss in the semifinals of the Mixed Doubles Olympic Trials last year, you were quoted as saying it was one of the worst feelings you'd ever had in curling, knowing that it was your last chance to become an Olympian for another four years, especially after playing so well and being so close in both the women's and mixed doubles trials. Now, I realize that going to Worlds doesn't make you an Olympian, but does it serve as a little bit of redemption that you will be at least able to represent Canada and have that maple leaf on your back at the World Championships in Norway? Um, obviously, I, yeah, I was so heartbroken when we lost out of the trials last year, um, specifically after the mixed doubles trials, and, you know, that could have been because of losing out of both trials kind of hit me all at once, once, uh, once we knew that neither of us were going to be going to the Olympics, and, um, you know, it took me a long time to get over that, and we haven't had the opportunity to, we didn't play in the Nationals together after that last year, so... It was nice to be able to, to play together again um, at a big event and, and perform well. And, yeah, like you said, it doesn't change the fact that we we aren't Olympians and that opportunity is, you know, three years down the road to come again. But it, it did feel good and, and feel good to play together again and just have a really strong, solid performance. Brett, you mentioned earlier that you would be facing players that you are unfamiliar with at the World Championship. Uh, will you and Jocelyn be leaning on Jeff Stoughton and other members of the Curling Canada team to get some insight on what to expect at the World Championship and what to expect from certain teams that you may have never even seen before but that have been to the Worlds in the past? Yeah, for sure. We're going to use uh, Jeff and Scott Pfeiffer's coming to the event with us as well. Um, so we have we have two really great curling minds that are going to be there at the event with us and we're going to try to get uh, you know get as much information on some of these teams we haven't seen before before we play them. Um, mixed doubles, there's a, there's a few different ways to play the game few, and lots of different strategies. So um, to get a heads up of ways teams like to play the game, might uh, you know, might just prepare us for what we're going to see during the games. Um, and like you say, with, with there's there's 48 different teams there, uh, and a lot of these countries um, you know are pretty new to the sport. We, we could see a, a few different, you know, a lot of different things out there. So um, any information they can give us, we're going we're gonna to take and um, use to our advantage. And it's just going to be fun to have that kind of um, extra support to our team uh, next week or, in, you know, in a few weeks. Finally, Jocelyn, one of the tricky things when traveling to an unfamiliar place for an event like a world championship is not really knowing what to expect once you get there. Now, your teammate, Caitlin Laws, is in a relationship with a player in a Norwegian pro hockey league, and I'm wondering if she's been able to provide you and Brett with some insight on what to expect once you get to Norway, allowing the two of you to adapt more quickly to your surroundings once you get there. Yeah, yeah I think it's, um, it's a small world that the she's been going over to specifically to this same city that we're going to for the world championship um, is where her boyfriend plays hockey out of. So she's given us a little bit of insight into things that we have to see and and places to go and and what to expect. So it's kind of kind of cool opportunity for us for her to give us a little insight heading into it. There was also some big news made off the ice last week when Team Jacobs announced that Ryan Fry would be leaving the team at the end of this season and would be replaced by fellow Olympic gold medalist Mark Kennedy, who had helped Team Jacobs to a Canada Cup title in December after Fry had taken time away from the sport following an incident at an event in Red Deer. Mark Kennedy joined from the hack to discuss his decision to join Team Jacobs for the remainder of this Olympic cycle. 
Mark, I think that in the eyes of many, the announcement that you would be joining Team Jacob starting next season was a foregone conclusion. Just to clear the air, because there's been a lot of speculation on this, had you been in contact with Team Jacobs about potentially joining the team in the period between the Canada Cup and, say, the Briar, or did all of this transpire over the past couple of weeks? It definitely was not the case in December. Uh, you know, that wasn't some foregone conclusion that I would be playing for them. Uh, at that point in time, you know, my future was uncertain. I was just looking forward to a week of playing. And, uh, you know, they were right in the midst of, of a pretty emotional time with everything that had just happened with Ryan. And, you know, having been through a lot with him, they were at a point where they completely had his back. You know, their um, their approach was we're going to do everything we can to get Ryan back and healthy and feeling good and uh, and give the Briar a run. So, you know, it's those discussions never happened. Um, we certainly we're comfortable with each other and, and our focus was, and a lot of this is thanks to Adam Kingsbury, you know, his focus for us was let's just worry about this week. You know, let's not look ahead to when Ryan's coming back. Let's not look ahead to anything else. So that's what we did. And, and we put all our energy into that week and it was a, a terrific week. You know, we certainly kept in touch as the year went on, but it was never with uh, a plan going forward. Um, but, but personally, you know, once I played in Estevan and I felt good and my hip felt good, my mind started to go to, you know, I want to try to get back and play again. You know, I had a, a ton of fun, and but I didn't know where that was going to be. And uh, I, I really didn't have any plans going into the off season here as to what I was going to do or who I was going to play with. And I certainly, certainly didn't want to put myself or put any team in a compromising position by reaching out to them. You know, I want to play, but I wanted to do it with integrity and avoid, you know, just all the politics that can happen when, when teams break up. And, and I was going to wait for a team to approach me uh, on the right terms. And, um, you know, they had a great briar, and they played well, and, and I honestly thought they were going to stick it out and, and keep playing together. But uh, as a team, they mutually decided that it was, it was time to, to part ways and, and have a fresh start, and I think it was... It was only natural with the chemistry that we had in Estevan that uh, that Brad would reach out to me. So, so that's how it went down. And um, you know, it's nice to see that everyone is on good terms and that everyone feels it's the right thing to do. And nobody was put in a compromising position or or kicked off a team or no hard feelings. And and that's honestly the way that it should be. So that's kind of what happened. And you know, sorry for the long-winded answer, but that uh, hopefully should put some of it to rest. Uh, thanks for clearing that up because there's been so much talk about it in the larger curling community over the past few months and quite frankly I believe that it's uh, unfair to Team Jacobs, to Ryan Fry and to you, you know, to have that out there if there really wasn't any conversations ongoing between you and the team in that period of time between the Canada Cup and the Briar. You know. It's unfair to everybody and, and well, you know, what I really like about those guys and, and myself included when it comes to this situation is that people's, uh, you know, there's people involved here. There's people and their lives and their their futures and and um, that's the most important part and and of course as an outsider looking in you often you know you you play the game of who's going to play where and and we do it in like NHL too but we forget that these people have families and kids and lives and and picking up and moving and all that type of stuff and and our and in this case I'm glad those guys took that into account when it came to Ryan and you know they care about him first and. Um, know their friendship and everything they've been through together and and that was at the forefront um right from december and right from the red deer incident and and that's when you approach it that way that's usually when you end up making 
good decisions when you've got other people's best interests at heart. Now, accepting to play for Team Jacobs might sound like a no-brainer to many, but I'm sure that you ended up considering many different things before making that final decision. Can you walk me through your decision-making process a little bit and what was under consideration as you made the decision to join Team Jacobs for this Olympic cycle? So um, I think Ryan and Brad had spoken um, midweek. I believe it was a Wednesday or a Thursday. And Brad contacted me that afternoon. Uh, and I, I told him I needed some time to think about it. And um, he was going to – I basically told him I would get back to him next week. I needed a few days to, to talk to Nicole about it. So once the phone call was done, you know, in my, in my heart of hearts, I was excited. And, uh, you know, like I said, a bit surprised, but excited to build on the chemistry that we'd had in Estevan. And then it was really just making some decisions about, you know, family and making sure – because it's a big sacrifice for my girls to do that. And, uh, yeah, so we talked about it for a couple of days. We considered, you know, just help with childcare and, and how that's going to work and uh, the girls' cheer season and Nicole's work. And, uh, you know, that takes a few days. You don't want to rush a decision like that. But, but at the end of the day, it, it's what I love to do. And, um, you know, my family certainly wasn't going to hold me back from doing something that I love and, and something that's given us a lot of uh, really good years. So, you know, took a few days. And the other part is just making sure that this is uh, – a commitment that I can make for the next three years and be all in, you know, not half-assing it with those guys and really giving it everything I have to try to get back to the Olympics and, and try to win a couple briars. And I didn't want to, um, you know, I just wanted to be sure that that's what I wanted to do. So took a few days and got back to Brad on the Monday or Tuesday and said that, uh, that I was all in. Over the years, Mark, you've done a lot of practicing on your own, but you always had teammates that were relatively close to you geographically. The rest of your team now will be some 2,600 kilometers away in Sault Ste. Marie. Now, I realize that you're probably going to make it to the Sioux in the lead-up to big events like the Canada Cup and the Briar and obviously the Olympic trials in a couple of years. But was the distance between you and the team you will be joining a consideration during your decision-making process? Yeah, it, it played into the decision, but uh, never in a negative way. So, like you said, I, I've been practicing on my own for quite a few years here in Edmonton, and um, you know, I almost found it a little bit appealing the idea of you know being on my own schedule here at home, you know, be it practice or family, and then um, when it's time to meet up with the guys and curl and, and get to work, then I can do that. You know, I, I find it almost easier to separate work-life balance um, in this situation. You know, I'm not on anybody else's time here in Edmonton when it comes to practice. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not giving up weekends because guys are here practicing on my team when I need to be somewhere else with my family. I can really schedule my preparation and training on my own, which I really like. And like you said, I'll get to Northern Ontario a few times a year for some training weekends, and especially in the first year as we try to, you know, bond and get used to one another. But um, it's you know, to get back to your question, it definitely played into my decision, but uh, only in a positive way. As we touched on briefly earlier, you and Brad seem to have a very good rapport from the outset at the Canada Cup in Esavan. And if memory serves, I believe you told me when we spoke following the Canada Cup that you were a bit surprised at how quickly you and Brad seemed to gel. What do you believe makes you and Brad Jacobs such a seemingly good match? I think it starts and stems from a, a mutual respect when we played each other. You know, that, that was always there. Obviously, the two, two teams were different when I was with Kevin Cooey, and, and they were at their best. But there was always a, a real mutual respect for how we approached the game and how we played the game and, and our passion for it. Um, you know, we always spoke really well on the ice when we were competitors, and I think that's where it starts. And then, 
you know, when we got together, you know, uh, like you said, you, you don't really know the person that well. And once you um, you get to know them, you realize you have a lot in common. And Brad and I do. You know, we've got young families. We've been, you know, we've won lots. We've lost lots. We have uh, similar personalities. And, and the one thing that really caught me with Brad was uh, both of our willingness to um, learn and improve and grow and, and change. And, um, yeah, we just we bonded really well that week. And, you know, he's the type of guy... He approaches the game in a way that makes you want to be better and and makes you want to play really hard for him. And um, that really stood out for me. And But listen, not just Brad. I mean, EJ and Ryan, great guys as well. And, and we hit it off right from the start. And, uh, yeah, you know, there, there, was a, there was a chemistry that developed early on. And sometimes you can't always put your finger on chemistry. It just happens. It, it probably helped that we were winning. And, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll try to build on it and, and see where it goes. But uh, I'm looking forward to, to playing hard for those guys. And usually, in order to be the best version of myself, uh, you know, I need to be playing really hard for the guys around me. And, and I don't think that's going to be a problem in this case. A bit earlier, you mentioned Adam Kingsbury. You came on board this year as a coach for Team Jacobs. And I know that you're familiar with having a mental performance expert as coach, having worked with John Dunn while you were with Team Cooey. What kind of impact did Adam Kingsbury seem to be having on Team Jacobs when you were around the team back in December in what was a pretty tough period for that team, which was not long after that incident in Red Deer, which led to Ryan Fry taking a step away from the team? I think um, teams that are making the mental part of the game a priority are are really going to improve in curling. You know, you can only throw the rock so good and, and... He's such a good curler, but you need that extra edge, and somebody like Adam provides that. And, you know, these long events are a grind, and they're a grind physically, and they're a grind mentally. And, and having someone there that keeps you in the right mental state uh, is extremely important. And, you know, Adam is that guy. And he's also really good at, um, you know, something John was great at too, just facilitating those discussions that need to happen on a team. You know, sometimes they're hard to bring up issues when – you're one of the members on the team, but if you can have somebody like Adam or John, you know, bring up the conversation and let everyone talk through their ideas and emotions and feelings, and then you always come out of it on the other side a better team. And that's what those guys are so good at. And uh, I think that's the impact Adam has had on these guys is just allowed them to work through some issues and problems that every team has um, and really keep them in a good state of mind you know, not only at events, but also in their training and in their preparation. And, you know, he's just one of those guys that keeps you accountable to do all the right things. And, um, yeah, he's, he's been a great asset, and, and I'm positive he'll be an asset for this team moving forward. And finally, Mark, one of the first people to troll you a little bit on social media after the announcement you were joining Team Jacobs was your old teammate Ben Hebert. Now, the last time that the Canadian curling community saw the two of you on the ice together was in the Canada Cup final in December, and the two of you had a somewhat tense exchange at one point during that game. So I guess the question is, inquiring minds want to know if you and Ben have hugged it out since then. (laughs) Yes, Ben Hebert and I hugged it out. And, uh, you know, I messaged him after the Briar, after their big win, which I thought was fantastic. And, oh, yeah, Benny and I will always be fine. Uh, it's probably going to make for a pretty good rivalry when we're on the ice because we're going to want to beat each other pretty bad. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the 12 years we spent together and the friendship we had uh, is bigger than anything curling-related. So, you know, we wish him all the best in Lethbridge next week. And, um, yeah, he's uh, obviously proven that he can win anywhere he goes and, you know, pretty happy for those guys, and uh, I think they'll have a great week next week. 
Our final guest this week is Peter DeCruz, who will be skipping his team in the 2019 World Men's Championship starting this weekend in Lethbridge, Alberta. Team DeCruz of Switzerland did not play in the Worlds last year, but they did win a bronze medal at the 2018 Olympic Games in Korea. Team DeCruz has also won a bronze medal in both their previous appearances at the World Championship in 2014 and in 2017. Peter, the first year of a new cycle is typically a year of transition for most curling teams, and yours was no exception. You brought in Sven Michel this season, and I know you had other distractions, such as Benoit Schwartz finishing up some schooling. All things considered, how would you rate your team's season so far? Yeah, so um, I guess uh, we're, we're slowly arriving at the end of the season now. Uh, so got a couple more couple more tournaments, Worlds and the Players' Championship. And overall, I mean, the the goals that we set at the beginning of the season, which were uh, representing Switzerland in both Europeans and Worlds, uh, hopefully get a medal. We'll see how it goes next week. And also stay in the in the top 10 in the world. So those are achieved. Um, of course, it's, not, it's probably not as good as we did last year, even though the season is not finished yet. Uh, we're not as good as last year, but we knew it was going to be a little bit of down season probably for results, uh, also for, for, for team practices, a uh, number of competitions, etc. So overall, uh, really, really happy. Uh, Sven's been really good with us. Um, he's integrated really well. We still have to, we still have to, to, to improve on a couple of things with him, um, but overall, really happy. I wanted to follow up on the addition of Sven Michel and how he's fit into your team. Uh, many teams this season have three or four players coming from different teams from the last cycle to form a new unit. And so everyone on the team is at the same level and getting to know the others. In your case, Sven is coming and joining three teammates that have been together for a long time. Were you surprised at how well Sven has fit in or did you anticipate that a veteran like him would be able to fit in as well as he has? Yeah, I think it... The the what made the situation maybe a bit more difficult and maybe that's why he apprehended it a little bit more. Um, Sven was that we've been playing the three of us for for more than more than ten eleven years now. I've been playing with Val uh, since I started calling, so we we have our uh, our routines. We have uh, you know our little our little specialities as a team. Like we we all work in a certain way and we know each other really well. Uh, so he had to he had to learn that and he had to adapt as well. Uh, we also had to adapt a little bit about, like uh, on on how he on how he works on and off the ice. Um, but overall, it's 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 been pretty good. I guess the the, the biggest challenges were probably uh, the language at the beginning of the season because because he speaks Swiss German and we speak French. Um, so it was all about him understanding us at the right moments and uh, vice versa. Um, but overall, I mean, I mean, his integration has been really good. Um, he was a little bit shy at the beginning of the season. So, for example, during the game, he would he would stay quiet if he if he wasn't uh, even if he wasn't completely behind a tactical decision, for example. Uh, then a couple of months later, he's starting feeling really comfortable. Uh, then he started to to to, to make his voice uh, heard. Uh, and now we're just trying to find the, the the exact mix so that we can play with good rhythm um, and so that we're all happy, me in the house and him uh, throwing the shot. One event uh, where you struggled a little bit this season was at the European Championship. But was your team able to park that result once the event was done? Or did that event provide you with some insight on stuff you would need to change to maintain your current standing in a sport moving forward? 
the the goal of this team is really to try and get a uh hopefully a gold medal somewhere along the line in the next uh, three four years um and also have a good result at the next olympics so we know that whatever we go through is going to be a learning process um uh, we didn't have the best week, of course, at the Europeans um, that we, we, we all know. But we've, we've been able to, to, to write down all the things that maybe we didn't do so well just to make sure that we do them better the next time. Um, and I think this was the goal for this season at least, uh, make sure that we're, we're having fun on the ice, you know, because it, um, it was quite difficult after the Olympics to, to, to re-motivate yourself, to go back on the ice, do the basics again, the technique, the sweeping, etc., so we wanted to have fun. Um, we knew that if we if we trained enough and if we uh, if we played well enough up to our level that we were going to win enough games to be in a situation like we are now to be able to represent Switzerland and also to play uh, the, the 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 last slam in the season. So um, overall, pretty happy with this season. Europeans, uh, I'd say it was it, it was a learning process. It was uh, interesting to. To, to live that as a team, definitely. Two years ago at the Worlds in Edmonton, your team won a bronze medal. Aside from the lineup change, in what ways is Team De Cruz different now than it was two years ago? It's an excellent question. Uh, I think we are... Um, it's a different team. Um, I think that the results we had, uh, first of all, at the Worlds, uh, but also at the Olympics... Um, made us uh, mature a little bit as a team and then see some things differently. Um, I think that w- w- when you're starting out to to play curling, you're really uh, focused on result, result, result. All you want to do is do better, win, win, win all the time. And I think now that we've achieved one of our uh, life goals, uh, I could almost say that, uh, life goals, which is uh, winning an, an Olympic medal, um, you, you definitely see some things differently, and you you're able to take a step back quite uh, easier on maybe a bad result or a bad weekend, or uh, if something's not going so well in the team, you can just relate and just say, well, listen, it's uh, it's still a privilege to be able to 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 do what we're doing, um, and let's just uh, let's just move on and see see what's next. Your team is part of a group, including Team Mowat and Team Botcher and others that are on the cusp of taking over the top of the world curling rankings from players that have been there for a while, such as Dean, Gushu, and, and others. Do you pay attention to what teams like Mowat and Botcher are doing to make sure that you keep yourselves on an equal footing with them moving forward? These teams that you mentioned, of course, uh, Mowat and Botcher, uh, there are a few others, definitely. Um, they're really good. I mean, they've been playing well, I mean... At least for the last for the last two three years, uh, but I'd say this season definitely they've really really improved really fast. Um, I think that they are really good analysts of the game. Um, I think that they 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 try and think out of the box, uh, which is uh, maybe some of the the top five six teams of the world struggle to do a little bit sometimes. Um, they're fresh, they have a new approach, they're really motivated, uh, they're really consistent. Uh, I mean, the, the, the skips especially can really, really play so, so well for, for, for entire seasons. Um, and we, we definitely look at what they're doing um, uh, and also what the, the top three are doing, you know, because that's how you're going to get better is really watch what the best are doing and try and maybe find something 
a bit new, a bit different that uh, the the other teams are not doing, just to have in your bag and trying to try and use against them. During your games, I've often heard announcers talk about how cool, calm, and collected Benoit Schwartz always seems to be. He certainly seems like a guy that can stay in the moment and not let a moment get to him. You've had a front row seat for the past several seasons uh, watching him play. Uh, what makes Benoit such a cool customer, even during high-pressure moments? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Benoit is a, is a special kid. Um, he's, he's a very, very smart guy. Uh, he... He works his ass off uh, on and off the ice uh, for the team and also for himself. Like he's a he's a very driven guy, um, so he's definitely uh, deserving the success he has. Uh, and I think he he's still on the way to to to, to do some really good things. Um, but I think w- what makes him look so calm is that he he is really smart. Um, he he doesn't get too emotional about uh, a result or, or or a tournament that doesn't go so well or a performance, he can really relate and say, okay, so 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 I did this well, I did my best, or uh, uh, we made this this mistake. He's he he, he analyzes things really well, um, and he's able to relate and say, okay, so next time we got to do better uh, and just focus on on the on the future. And I think um, this is one of his main qualities is that he's able just to just to focus on the important things and not uh, really trying to, to search for the reasons why uh, why is the the, the planet turning like this so there's more curl <laughs> more curl here more curl there less curl whatever release technique etc he's just looking on making it simple looking at the future and and trying to do just better every time and finally, Peter, what would be a good result and what are your expectations for Team De Cruz at the World Championships in Lethbridge? Yeah, um, I think that um, this this World Championship for us is, well, definitely an opportunity to to do better than at the, than at the Europeans, um, at least on one or two aspects of, of our performance on the ice. Um, but I, I don't think we really have expectations about results because we know that there are really a lot of good teams this year. I mean, it's such a tough world championship. Uh, we got we got Kui, Dean, uh, Mauert, Schuster. I mean, all the others are also really, really good. So I think I really think most of the teams this year are going to go uh, with not say lower, but no expectations. Um, everybody knows they can do well in this tournament. This is what makes it interesting, I guess. Uh, it's going to be probably be the team that can that can be better on the moment or on the one or two key shots and have maybe a little bit of luck uh, during the week that's going to win. But I think there are a lot of teams that have uh, the same or very similar levels. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, me, myself, I really don't have expectations about results. I'd like to go out of... Uh, go back from, 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 from Lethbridge uh, with a medal, definitely. Um, but we'll see what happens. Like you said, this is the first uh, year of an Olympic cycle. Uh, we're going to use this as a as a learning uh, learning process, uh, as a as a good preparation also for 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 the next two three years. And that does it for the From the Hack podcast for March twenty seventh, two thousand nineteen. A big thank you to each of our guests and to all of you for listening. I'm Frank Rock, and this is From the Hack.